I was supposed to deliver this message as part of Vision Sunday. So who remembers what we talked about on Vision Sunday? Good. Vision. Good. So we talked about a new identity statement for Cornerstone, a mission statement, and a vision statement. Um, We're not going to go over all of that this morning, but our identity, this is not our statements. This is a summary of what those statements are about, but our identity is who God has named us, which our identity statement does. Our vision is what we long to see that we couldn't possibly do on our own. Like if it happens, it's because God did it and we agree with what God wants to do and is doing and will do at Cornerstone and beyond. And our mission is um, what we do in order to see that, to partner with God in our vision. So that's a general overview. We're not going to go over our statements, but if you can recall back to the recesses of your mind, hopefully you don't have to go too deeply there, you can recall those, some of those key words and phrases that we were talking about as part of our core values, identity, vision, and mission here at Cornerstone. And maybe some of that will come back to you as we're going through the teaching this morning. The teaching that I was going to bring on Vision Sunday was um, a review of what I preached when I came back from sabbatical. I was on sabbatical from July 1st to November 1st of last year, and God spoke to me, which is what we expect to happen over sabbatical. And on some levels, I brought that back to you and what that means for Cornerstone. This morning, I want to unpack a specific piece of that um, download that God gave to me over my time of rest and sabbatical that you all graciously offered to me. So we're going to review what I taught over sabbatical, and then I'm going to give in more depth, kind of blow up a piece of that and go in more depth about a specific spiritual concept that God showed me and revealed to me that I also want and believe is for the body of Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, um, Spirit, Father, um, I pray that you would bring to your body this morning what it is that you desire us to hear, that we would hear as one body, um, that we would hear not just for ourselves, that we should do that, but we should hear together um, as a group of people knit together. Um, in your family, as your sons and daughters. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So what I shared over sabbatical was that, and this is a concept I've been wrestling with for a long time in my life, and God really started to unpack it for me and show me really what was going on. And what he showed me was that typically, as I live my life as a human being, as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, as a soccer coach, as a neighbor, I tend to live pretty selfishly. You can see the eyes down there at the bottom, and I tend to look to the left where it has my name. So I tend to look at myself and how am I doing? What does my life look like to me and to those around me? And does it, frankly, look good enough? And I tend to structure these pieces of my identity And if those pieces are going well, by my definition, then I am doing great. And if those pieces are out of control and not doing well, then I am not doing great and my identity is somewhat crumbling. It's not strong. I don't have a solid foundation. And so I live in this ebb and flow, these highs and lows of, oh, you're great, you're doing great, Matt, oh my goodness, you're falling to pieces. And so some of the things, and they're summarized here, that I've attached to my identity are that I must win. I must win. My teams must win. Um, 
my football teams must win, right? I know we laugh. I laugh too, but it's true. The, uh, the, the soccer teams that I coach must win. If we lose, I'm like less of a person. And if we win, I'm great and I'm awesome. At Cornerstone, I've put these really surfacey markers on how am I doing as a pastor? Are there a lot of people in the seats on a Sunday morning? Well, then I must be doing well. And was the offering good? Then I must be doing well. And we all go, oh, Matt, those are, you got to be careful there. But, but it's true. And I know deep down in my heart that those things are shallow and they don't reveal the depth of truth and love and relationships in the body. But it's very easy for me to go and check the offering from the previous, oh man, jeez, oh gosh, okay. Or who wasn't there? Who wasn't there? Oh, I wonder if they're mad at me. I wonder why they're not here. Like, are they mad at somebody else? Do I have to intervene in that relationship? What's going on? Why aren't they here? Why would they go on to Florida instead of coming to Cornerstone? Right? Which is connected to another piece of my identity is that people have to like me, right? I don't like when people don't like me. I want everybody to like me and agree with me and get along with me in all the things that I love and agree and get along with in my life. Um, and then finally, another piece on it, this is a summary, is the city of Lebanon. You all know, like, we love the city, we live in the city, you know, we, we, we want to minister in the city. Um, but, but not everybody always looks at the city in the same way that I do. And then I'm like, why can't you do that? Why, why can't you see what I see? Why can't you pour in where I think you should pour in? And so then I start judging people. And, you know, judgment was a big part of my sabbatical, which is tied into all of this. If, you know, all of this needs to fit together, and these things are all connected. So if people don't see the city the same way I do, then, then they must not like me. And if they go to Cornerstone, then maybe I'm not that great of a pastor. So there's all this stuff. And, and, and sometimes these things go well. And I'm like happy and filled for a short period of time. And sometimes they don't go well. And then I'm sad and angry and frustrated and judgmental. And this is just not a way to live, right? This is a very um, fractured way to live. It's not a solid foundational way to live. It's a very frantic way to live. Because I think I can control all those things. I think I can make everybody like me. I think I can kind of hold Cornerstone together, except she belongs to Jesus. I I think if I just talk enough, people will see the city the same way I do. Even they might have a better or a different perspective that I might need to hear. And so all of these things fit together, and, and you're constantly, constantly trying to pull these together, make them fit together so that they're all good. And if they're not all good, then it's usually all bad. And then that's just no way to live. So you might remember that I likened this. Well, God gave me the scripture, Luke 9, 24. And he said, and it just came to life to me one day on sabbatical. If you try to hang on to your life, which is what I'm doing here on the left, you will lose it. I'm grasping on the left side. I'm grasping for these things. I just, if I can just hold them, shape them, form them, put them in their place and make them all, if I can just make these six-year-olds win every game, the world will be okay. And it feels like that, which is ridiculous, which is why you laugh. And I'm glad you laugh because that helps communicate truth to me about that thought. So thank you. Um, So all of these things, it's just, it's crazy. And so 
I try to hold on to them. But as Luke 9.24 says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, Jesus' sake, you will save it. So God was like, Matt, you got to die. If you don't want to live this way, and I know you don't, like you're going to have to die to these things. You're going to have to let go because you're not doing any good by holding on to them. And then I got this picture, this great picture of trying to hold on to something that slips through our grasp, right? And who plays with one of these or their kids play with one of these? We talked about this, right? The water wiggly or the water snake. Apparently I used the wrong terminology when I talked about this the last time. Who doesn't know? Don't be, who doesn't know what this thing is? Oh my goodness. You have lost your childhood. Okay. We should have had a bucket of these for everybody to take home. Is Mark here? No, he's teaching upstairs. I want to see if we have money in the budget to get everybody from Cornerstone on. So I'm not going to say what I called them because apparently it was offensive to people. I don't know. But this is a water snake or a water wiggly and you hold them. It's like a, it's a balloonish material that kind of is folded in on itself and it's filled with water or some gelatin substance and they, it slips out of your hands. It's just kind of, ah! And the harder you squeeze it and try to hold on to it, the more it flies out, okay? You get the idea. You can see the analogy in the picture. So I was like, oh, my life is like a water snake. Wow. And we used to have these growing up. We had a lot of them. They were like our pets in some way. Uh, we didn't watch a lot of TV, but so, no, we did. That's a lie. So, so the harder you hold on to the water snake, the harder it is to hold on to the water snake. The more I try to hold on to my life, the harder it is to hold on to my life and the more frantic and fractured and crazy it gets, right? As much as I'd love to stay on this analogy, we're going to move on. These things that I'm holding on to are not particularly harmful. Is it good that I coach my kids' soccer teams? Yeah. Is it good that I love Cornerstone, even if it's tainted and twisted sometimes? Yeah. Is it good that I want to have healthy relationships with people? Yeah. Um, is it good that, that I want to love the city of Lebanon and I want other people to? Yeah. It's all good, but it has to be good in its right place. And so God took my picture here and he reoriented some things and broke some lines and reattached things and moved some circles around. And it's not like you can heal your life by doing a diagram, but this is the best way to represent what was happening in my heart and my mind and my spirit. So he said, look, you got to look at me. And scripture talks a lot about looking at Jesus. It says there's a lot where he's like, look at me, behold the lamb, you know, the one who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, look, get your eyes on the right thing. Get your heart on the right thing. And so he's like, Matt, you got you to gotta look to the right. You got to take your eyes off the left. And you got to look to the right. And you need to look at Jesus. You need to look at me. And the fruit of your life is the fruit of the Spirit. And that fruit isn't something that you can hold on to. That's something that comes through the Spirit. The Spirit holds that, right? The Spirit secures that. So here, here, here's this fruit in your life that, that I secure for you. And, and your identity is in me, and the fruits of your life is in me. And through that, live these things that, that are good. Live them the right way. Go to soccer practice so you can build into the hearts and minds of young boys, right? And build relationship with them and care for them and teach them how to have fun and to be successful. Um, go to Cornerstone 
and love the people and trust that those relationships are real because they are. They're not based on other things like whether they're on vacation or how much money is in the offering plate, right? This is not, this is not real. This is not reality. Um, love the city and, and show other people God's perspective on the city. But don't base your relationships off that. Like, l- let me transform the city, Matt. Like, you don't have to transform the city. You can't. So let go. Let me transform the city. Believe in Jesus. Believe in me. And so all these things were shifting in my life. And, and frankly, it was kind of one of those things like, wow, that was pretty simple, but yet so profound and deep. And yet it didn't happen right away. Like, I'm still on this journey. Like, this is a journey. Like, I haven't crossed over to the other side yet. Every day, it's a struggle. Just the other day, Courtney overheard me talking to the boys about soccer. And she pulled me aside and said, you need to be really careful how you talk about soccer with the boys. You make it sound way more important than it actually is, right? And she was right. She was right. So it's, it's a journey. It's definitely, it's definitely a journey. I've learned and I'm learning to look not here first or here first, but to look there first. So you can turn around and look. I'm not pulling to Kyle Miles. I'm pointing to the cross. Like, I have to look there first. And I have to do it out of discipline. Like, I have to, I, I keep this diagram in my Bible, and I have to pull it out and be like, okay, this is what your life is supposed to look like. I have to be disciplined with it. I can't, I'm, I'm too weak. I'm too sinful to actually just be like, sweet, Jesus, why didn't you give me that picture before? Let's do this thing. Let's go live life. No, it's not that easy. And as you look at this, I want you to be able to think of the things that, that you see in your life that you might hold on to that are false identity, that are rooted in you and your control of them as opposed to rooted in Jesus and the fruits that the Spirit produces in you. And then see those things and how they fit into your life. So I got this diagram and sabbatical was awesome. It was cool to be like, wow, Jesus, you really are speaking to me. This is great. And if you recall, that was a review. Now we're going to get into some new stuff. Um, don't forget what I just shared, though. Um, Justin gave me this lock and key before I went on sabbatical, right? And I don't know if you remember that or if you were here that Sunday, but we were sitting, like, in the second row as a family, and Justin said, everybody gather around the Hershey's. And he gave me this lock, and he said, I don't know what this is for, but I thought I was supposed to give it to you. And so figure out over sabbatical what it's for. So I felt a little pressure to uh, figure it out. And kind of went through some different thoughts and feelings about it over sabbatical. And then one day it kind of like hit me and I was like, oh, yes, that's what this is for. I'm not going to tell you what that is right now. Keep that thought. As Jay says, put it on the shelf over here. We're going to come back to it. Um, One of the things I was reading over sabbatical was a book by Keith Yoder. And you know Keith, he comes here and he teaches sometimes from teaching the word. Keith was my sabbatical mentor, my guide, my coach. And Keith had me read um, one of his books over sabbatical that he wrote. And uh, I was reading the book, and I got to this concept um, of binding and loosing. Um, Binding and loosing. And we're going to go to uh, Matthew 16. So if you want to go to Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to start in verse 16. Matthew 16, 16. And... The term binding and loosing, or in some translations, it might be 
um, forbidding and permitting. So you forbid or permit something, you bind it or you loose it. So depending on the terminology that you have, um, same, same meaning. So Matthew 16, 16, in the context of Jesus is like talking to the disciple. He's like, you know, who do people say that I am? You know, am I just the guy bagging groceries at the corner grocery store? Or, you know, who do people say that I am? Well, they were, I'm going to start in 14. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Or you are the anointed one, the passage might say. The son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. We don't have a good English translation of the Greek grammatical structure in there, but the translation is basically something along the lines is whatever you forbid on earth is already having been forbidden in heaven. Like it's basically, it's already happened. Do whatever's happening in the spiritual realms, do that here. And he's saying you have the keys of the kingdom to be able to do that, to permit what is being permitted in the spiritual realms or to forbid what is being forbidden in the spiritual realms. And unfortunately, our English translations fall way short of that translation. So we have to be in touch with Jesus to know. And he says, here's, this is basically a literal, a literal translation of that passage. Or a, a, not a literal translation, but an expanded interpretation. This is the Matt Hershey version of this passage. You are Peter, and I will build my church on your confession of my identity as the Messiah. The word for rock in that passage, he calls Peter's, he says, you're, you're Peter, which means rock. And on this other rock, it's a different word for rock, on this other bigger rock, which refers to Peter's confession of who Jesus is, I will build my church. Jesus says he will build the bride of Christ on the confession that he is Jesus the Messiah. Okay? And this church, this group of people confessing Jesus as the Messiah will not be taken down. The church is strong. Even by the darkest, most powerful combined forces of evil and hell, this church will not be taken down. Why? Because Jesus hands the keys of the car to his people. And he says, you have authority from me. You have authority given to you from me 
that allows you to make what is happening in the spiritual realms in heaven on earth. On earth as it is in heaven. There's no way that Satan's evil plans win in the end because we, as confessors of Christ, have the keys of the kingdom and can bind and loose things in the spiritual realms that can literally change the way our world operates. That's awesome. A little hallelujah or an amen. Okay. Um, it's just that we don't live in that place, right? We just, we just don't live in that place. This doesn't mean that we run around with a magic wand. I bind this and loose, you know, no, no, no. We align ourselves with the revelation of Christ through his scripture, through truth that we hear spoken from within the body, through revelation from experiencing him in nature. However he reveals, you know, he speaks all these ways to us a direct word from the Lord. And in that foundation of truth, we bring heaven to earth, okay? Or we have the potential as confessors of Christ to bring heaven to earth. So I'm processing all this over sabbatical and I'm like, wow, that's pretty incredible. So one Sunday morning towards the end of sabbatical, I'm just like, you know what? This way of living, is just, it's enough. I've had enough of it. I'm tired of living this way. It wears me out. I can't do it. And so I took this lock and I started locking it up and I went around. Now my circle is bigger than that or had more, more bubbles than those four. And I went around and for each bubble, I was just like, you know what? I bind that connection that I have to that bubble. I bind it. Like, it's just, it's, I forbid it. I forbid that, like, unholy connection. Like, that's not a healthy connection. And then I loosed my bubbles to the appropriate spot in my life. And I went, I'm sitting on my couch in tears, just a sloppy mess. Like, I want this so bad. I want this so bad, Jesus. And I know this is a journey. And I know that I'm just not going to like, this is all done. I, I want that, but I know that. And so I went through and I was like, you know what? Winning and losing. I don't need to win and lose. Is winning and losing bad? No, not all the time, but in their proper place, you know? So I, I forbid, I lock that, that connection up and I release, I loose winning and losing to, to my true identity and what that actually means. Um, and I did that for each one. And, and it was healing. It, it started this massive healing spot in my life. Um, it, was, it was awesome. I quickly realized that this kind of thing was not meant for just me and Jesus in the quietness of my living room. Like this kind of thing was meant for community. And so, Strangely enough, I left the house a little bit after that, swung by the church, and I had the park. Like, I'm not supposed to, like, be near the church during sabbatical, so I don't see people. Truth be told, the longer sabbatical went, I would pick up Sammy for soccer games. I'd pick him up out front of the church on Sundays. And, I like, the longer sabbatical went, the closer I started parking to Cornerstone because I missed everybody. 
So like the last week I parked like right in front of the church and I'm like waving to people, you know, and, and they're like, oh, I don't know if we're allowed to talk to Matt or, you know, and so some of you were like really good with the boundaries that had been set over sabbatical. And, um, and some people kind of, hey, hey, how's it going? I don't know. Who's that guy? So Courtney brings Sammy out to the car and I'm like, oh, Court, you know, like I had to share it with her. Like this is, you know, in 30 seconds, here's what Jesus did, just did. And she's like, okay, great. And so that was a conversation for another time. And then when I met with Keith a little bit later, I had to share it with Keith. It was important. And then when I came back, I, I shared with you this story when I came back from sabbatical and you're hearing it again today. But the, I, I just knew right away, like this had to be something that just wasn't, just wasn't for me. It just couldn't just be for me. And not only that, but when you released me for sabbatical, you released me to this kind of thing. Like when I was on sabbatical, I was being blessed by this community, my family at Cornerstone saying like, Matt, go, go rest, go hear from Jesus, go be healed in the things that you need to be healed in. So even in the moment that I was alone in my house, like y'all were there because you were with me in these things, knowing that God was working in my life. So my community was there, just they weren't there there, but I still knew I had to talk to, to my community. And, and for a couple reasons, one, because I thought Jesus was really awesome at that moment. And it would be so wrong of me to not like want to share how awesome Jesus is and the work that he does in my life. And because number two, like I want you to be like, that's awesome. Jesus is awesome. I want Jesus to do that kind of work in my life too. Which is why I'm sharing this with you now. And, and thirdly, I wanted accountability on it. Like, did, did, I, did I interpret the scriptures rightly here? Like, am I off on this? Am I walking this through? Okay, like, is this off kilter with anybody, you know? And so that's another reason that there's accountability in this. Like, whoa, Matt, you interpret this passage all wrong. This is actually about, I don't know, something completely different. But, you know, through talking with Courtney and unpacking with her and Keith and with you guys and sharing, even if people aren't like, yes, Matt, that's a correct theological interpretation, I can see people responding to God's truth. And it's been really cool to sit down with, pastors from other churches who are like, hey, how's your sabbatical? I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Let me show you this diagram. And they're like, well, that's cool, you know? And so it's been a lot of that kind of processing with people in community. In this passage, Jesus, he says, he says, I will build, I will build my church. The, the, the church is this ecclesia. It's this, it's this decision-making body. That's what one of the interpretations of church in the Greek is, ecclesia, this decision-making body. So when the ecclesia comes together, they make these decisions. Jesus is saying, you're going to have the authority to make spiritual decisions that change history, that build my church, that, that bind Satan and his evil plans. You're, you're going to do this. Let's do this. And so the idea that even church is in there, that Jesus includes us in this, is like, wow, this is a community thing. He didn't just give the keys to Peter. He gave them to his church. So a little bit more on community. What are the things in your life, what are the bubbles on the left-hand side that are the raw, mat the raw material for you forming your own identity? separate from Christ. What are those things? Is it, you know, is it money and how much money you have so you feel secure or not secure? And that constant, like, I don't have enough, I don't have enough, I don't have enough. Is it um, your job and 
I'm awesome or I'm not awesome because of the job I have or the job I don't have. Like these could be good or bad things. Like you could form an identity that's completely just like I am worthless. Or you could form an identity that's I'm amazing. It could be that one of those bubbles is like some sort of pain, some sort of affliction in your life, a physical affliction or an emotional affliction, um, a, a wounded relationship. Or maybe it's this relationship that you put too much in, like you're worshiping this person in your relationship. Maybe it's um, not your job. Maybe it's uh, parenting. You know, like I want to, if I don't parent well, then I'm this. And if I do parent well, then I'm that. I mean, any of us that are parents have walked through that thing. So there's all of these things that we can unrighteously and wrongly attach to our identity. And then we hold on to these things and we massage these things and we grab these things and they just keep slipping out of our hand. And we can't control them the way that we want to because they're not our identity. And we have to die to them so that we can have life in Christ. I have not arrived just because I got the diagram, okay? I have not arrived. This is a journey. This is for all of us as a church. But if I'm going to be on this journey, I might as well be on it with all of you, right? Because I can't imagine continuing to do it alone like I have for a couple decades, probably, of struggling with these things, at least the realization that I'm struggling with them. So it makes a lot of sense to be doing it in community. Now, the thought here, listen to this, is not, I need to work out my junk so I can properly present myself to my community, okay? That's not what we're going for. I need to work out my junk so I can properly present myself to my community. No, it's I need to work this junk out in my community so that we can confess Christ together. I need to work this junk out in my community so that we can confess Christ together. And if we're confessing Christ together, then he is saying, that's my church. And he is saying, here are the keys to my kingdom. And he is saying, go bind and loose as a community because you know what to do because you're a community. Because you know what needs to be bound and what needs to be loosed and what needs to be permitted and what needs to be forbidden. Go be the church. Go change the world. Go change your heart. Go change a nation. But he gives us all of this. He gives us all this. Even while we're doing this, I am making a confession of Christ, right? Like I am confessing Christ's authority and truth in this for me and for our community such that he is using that to build his church. Like another block goes into the wall, right? Another block goes into the wall. And I see you shaking your head and I feel you connected with me. And he's going, yes, that's my church, okay? So stay connected here, stay in it. Flip over to Matthew chapter 18, um, starting in verse 15. Matthew 18, verse 15. Jesus says, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful... Take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. 
then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. I tell you the truth. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this. If two or three of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. So here's a great illustration of this principle of binding and loosing or forbidding and permitting in the context of community. And here the issue is what? It's, it's sin, right? So one individual has been sinned against. There's been an offense brought to them. So they go to this individual and say, hey, you've offended me. You've hurt me. You've done wrong according to God's truth. Like, we need to reconcile this. And so, if, now this, these are brothers or sisters in Christ, right? These are, these are believers, that this is, this is the context for this. If another believer sins against you, um, so, if that's the case, and you go to that person, and they go, oh my goodness, I have sinned against you. I am so sorry. And you go, I forgive you. Like this, this is the concept Jesus is talking about. Like broken relationship. And what they've done is they've, they've agreed together in community that sin has happened and it is not okay. They've used their spiritual authority to say that sin is bad. We're going to bind it and we're going to cast it out. And then they're going to permit the restoration of the relationship. That's the power of the cross, that reconciliation in that place. However, if that person says, I haven't sinned against you. I I don't know what you're talking about. I refuse to acknowledge that there's been any sort of brokenness in our relationship. Then there needs to be agreement somewhere if sin actually has taken place. So if the person who's been sinned against, well, okay. No, like that is leaving space for the enemy to work and to do destructive things in community. So that person goes back and says, I'm going to take, tells their story to two or three other people, and they go, yeah, sounds like sin has happened here. We're, we're going to agree together that this needs to be bound up and cast out, and this relationship needs to be restored. And, and then if it doesn't, then ultimately the church steps in and says, no, we agree that sin has happened here. You're disagreeing with this in the context of community, We need to bind this sin up. It has no place here. And because you're not with that, we're binding you and casting you out of this community because this community and God's truth and his glorification matters way more than your refusal to acknowledge this sin that has already brought destruction into the community. And so the church then agrees to bind this sin and this person. And as Keith Yoder talks in his book, like another... um, idea around binding and loosing is to allow fellowship and to refuse fellowship. So there's this refusal of fellowship because it's not in line with what's what's happening in the spiritual realms. The spiritual realms, the truth coming out of the spiritual realms, and as on earth as is in heaven is saying, like, there's destruction happening in this community that can't happen. This, we need to be in agreement with, 
over here. And I say up here because that's an easier picture for heaven, okay? So we're going to agree with what God is already saying and doing in that relationship, even though it's hard and we love that person. And so do you see this binding and loosing and the power it has? And it's for the sake of Christ and the church's witness and their confession that they do that, that they agree with God's truth and they agree that his community must be whole and not divided and divisive. And so they, you know, bonding and loosing is not easy. It's, it's very difficult. So there's an example from scripture in the context of community. Okay, li- listen to this. This is a long sentence. Should have had it on the screen, but I don't. The actualizing of this binding and loosing authority that we as confessors of Christ have been given the privilege to steward as his church in community with one another is a significant, if not the most significant calling on this group of people. It directly results in building and strengthening the bride of Christ, which brings glory to the bride's head. The actualizing of this binding and loosing authority that we as confessors of Christ have been given the privilege to steward as his church in community is the most significant aspect of our calling as sons and daughters. It directly results in building the church, which glorifies Christ. When I say building the church, I don't mean building a big church and having a lot of cool stuff going on. Great, that's fine. That's great. But I mean building the church so that the world goes, whoa, who's that? Oh, that's Jesus. Because his body is there, okay? Okay, now I want to make it more real, okay? So try to put your, I don't know, political feelings aside probably is the best way to say it. Um, The word government applies here, okay? This is Jesus established a spiritual government when he said, um, you know, I'm giving you the keys to my kingdom. He's talking about his government, his spiritual government that he has instituted on earth, his kingdom. And he's saying, I'm giving you responsibility as my church, governmental authority in my kingdom. Spiritual governmental authority. Government, governmental authority, any of those terms right now are super loaded terms, right? I mean, we can all agree to that. What I'm about to say, don't interpret that we shouldn't be engaged in the politics of our nation. I'm not saying you shouldn't have formulated opinions and thoughts based on your your life growing up and things that you've experienced and walked through in your life that you shouldn't have political ideas. That's not what I'm saying, okay? That's not what I'm saying. Paul and Jesus engaged the politics of their day. They had some pretty strong thoughts on the politics of their day, and they engaged those politics in word and action. But they did it from this perspective of Jesus's government rules and reigns, okay? So, if we as believers spend more time on the political flavor of our choice, whether that be 
CNN, Fox News, Facebook, Twitter, or any number of places where we can, the, the newspaper, I'm not saying don't do this, but if we are going there more than we are going to the word, to his creation, to our community, then something is amiss, okay? Something is amiss. We're choosing a different government. It doesn't matter if your politics are on the right or on the left or in the middle. It doesn't matter. There is another government that we need to be after. And I've had a lot of conversations with people recently about just getting drawn into the media now. And, and I'm, I'm there. Like, I, I'm there. I get it. If you are more passionate and feel more energy right now toward the government on the left or the government on the right than you feel about the church and God's kingdom, then we, we have a problem. If you're more inclined to confess the name of your political candidate of choice than you are in announcing the name of Jesus, then we, we have a problem as a church. Um, if you're inclined to judge a brother or sister and place them in a political box that you've constructed for them on the basis of a particular political candidate or a party for which they champion, rather than using your God-given authority to bind that spirit of judgment within you, then we have a problem as a church. I'm, I'm pointing the finger at all of us, okay? I'm pointing the finger at all of us. Some of you might just be like, I am apolitical. Then I'm not pointing the finger at you, I guess. I don't know, right? It's too easy for us to look across the sanctuary and see somebody that we know and love and have relationship with them and have some thought or maybe direct knowledge of who they voted for or who they didn't vote for or what policies we think they probably support or don't support. And then we shape them in our minds and then we just don't talk to them about it and then we think of them as being bad or something like that. Then we have placed our allegiance into a government that is not the government to which our primary allegiance belongs. And that is the government that is established by the Prince of Peace. Um, we're now at a time in our history um, that the church must believe in, receive, and exercise the kingdom governmental authority given to her. We are called to the truth of Jesus Christ and in light of this truth to forbid and permit to bind and to loose beliefs, actions, systems, behaviors, philosophies, ideologies in this world so that this world begins to look more and more like that world. Because all of that stuff is already being forbidden or permitted in the spiritual realms. And it is up to us to come into line with that, given the authority that Jesus has given to us. We need to bind and loose in agreement with one another, in agreement primarily with his truth, 
for the sake of our own hearts, for the sake of this fellowship, for the sake of his church at large, for the sake of our nation, for the sake of our world. So that we may know him who is the eternal one over and above all of these other things which are very quickly going to go away. Very quickly. He is the eternal one. This other stuff is going to pass away. It doesn't mean we don't engage it. It doesn't mean we don't speak to it. But we must bring his governmental authority into the midst of that if the world is going to see and to hear Jesus. Um, In so doing, if we as a church walk in that way, in this authority given to us, then we will become purveyors of life coming from death, which is his story. It's the story of Luke 9, 24. It's one of the stories that runs throughout scripture, life coming from death. With this authority that he gives us, that is in line and flows from him and his truth, that he walks with us in, when we bind and loose, we bring life from death. And there isn't a human being sitting here today, there isn't a human being in our state, in our county, in our country, in our world, who doesn't love at some place in their heart, doesn't connect at some place deep within them, this notion that they were created to witness life coming from death. That they don't desire it in their own life on some level, no matter how dark the evil is. That something doesn't resound in that phrase of life coming from death. And we as a church can walk in that place, confessing his name, bringing glory to him. Flip your bulletins over on the back. I want to read the sermon thought. Um, that comes from Keith, Keith's book. We grow so familiar with Jesus' words that we often miss the earthquake of new revelation that shook the tectonic plates of Jewish law. Until this time, only official authority figures who underwent rigorous training could serve as governors and make leadership decisions that concerned God's will. But Jesus gave the keys to the kingdom, the authority to discern and establish the Father's will, to common people. To accountants, fishermen, or doctors could discern God's wisdom from heaven and proclaim it on earth. No wonder the scribes and Pharisees considered Jesus a threat to their authority. Let's pray. God, we are accountants and fishermen, um, moms, dads, men, women, boys, girls. We are all of these things together in your community, followers of you, under your authority and with your authority. God, use us. Use this body of cornerstone to start something in your church particularly now, at this point in time in our history. The church is never at risk. The church is yours. Like, it's, it's sustained in and through you. But, but we don't want to miss out. 
we don't want to miss out on being a part of your work on your movement, Jesus. So God, call us to the place of sacrifice, to a place of discipleship that matters. It matters in our hearts. It matters for this church. It matters for your church. It matters for this community. It matters for this city. It matters for this nation. It matters for this world. That we have authority to move in and through your truth and bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray over the people here at Cornerstone that we would all know together that of the greatness of your government and peace, there is no end. In Jesus' name, amen.